Welcome back to Porcelain Peak, the strange and scary podcast that covers everything from horror to sci-fi and all of the Marvel again stuff in between. I am one of your hosts, John, and as always, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Anthony. What up? We here in this phase two business. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we are going to dig into uh, a loose phase two of Marvel just because we are doing it in chronological story order. If you haven't listened to the previous episode where we broke down uh, the first seven on the list, ranging from Captain America, the first Avenger, all the way up to Avengers, uh, then go check that out. It came out last week. We had a lot of interesting discussions about some of the episodes and why we felt like uh, Thor was a piece of shit. But uh, we are going to jump into some of our normal things, starting off with a little bit of news. All right, well, first up and pertaining to today's topic, Disney announced a bunch of new shows that are coming to its Disney Plus service. So one of those is going to be a series about Loki starring Tom Hiddleston. And we also are getting another series about Vision and Scarlet Witch and another series about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. There's also supposed to be a mini series about Hawkeye. Jeez, there's a bunch of stuff. I know I heard that there's also talks that they may be rebooting all of the Defenders, Daredevil, Iron Fist, all that stuff. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm already excited for the Disney service just because aside from loving horror and sci-fi, I'm also a big fan of Disney stuff. So I'm excited for that service as long as it's not twisting my arm expensive. There were a bunch of new releases this week that came out uh, since the last time we recorded. Shazam, Pet Cemetery, and uh, the second season of the Sabrina series. Uh, I watched a few episodes of Sabrina. It's, it's still very interesting, very dark. I definitely am enjoying my stay with it. I saw Shazam, uh, and I felt like it was the best thing that DC's put out so far. DCEU-wise. I, I, still, <laughs> I still stand by the Dark Knight trilogy as just beautiful hallmarks of cinema. But uh, as far as the DCEU is concerned, Shazam has the most life. While it does have some you know, some humor, so it, it is going to get itself likened to Marvel films. It just has fun, and there's life in it, and it just doesn't feel like it's just a slog you have to get through, which is appreciated. They do have a little bit of a problem when it comes to filling out their final third with a, with a battle, uh, but they do poke fun at that, which I appreciated. Uh, from what I've seen from the early reviews for Pet Cemetery, it looks like it's not going so great. Uh, a lot of people are saying that it was something that probably shouldn't have been messed with. Uh, I'll probably reserve some judgment until I actually see it for myself, but I more than likely will probably wait until it comes to a streaming platform rather than watch it lots in theaters, considering it's not getting not getting the kind of fanfare that I'd like. So if you want to see a full review for Shazam, then you can check out John's YouTube show, which is on the Entertainment Vortex. Yeah, it wasn't me this week because it was DC, but... You're sure as shit it's going to be me for Endgame. So um, I think that's it for news. So let's move on to that trivia. Trivia. Here's how we play. I ask a question. If you get it right, Steve lives. Come on, it'll be fun. It's an easy category. It'll be trivia. Or you can give you a warm-up question. All right. 
boys and ghouls, the first category is going to be monster. Monster. Here we go. Here we go. The brain of the monster in Frankenstein from 1931 is obtained from which of the following places? A graveyard, a university, a prison, or a morgue? Is it from a prison? It is not from a prison. It's going to be from a university. Mm. What is the surname of the protagonist in Village of the Damned from 1960, played by George Sanders? Carlton. It's Zellaby. Yep, nailed it. All right, next category is going to be gore slash disturbing. In Videodrome from 1983, the Civic TV station is located in what Canadian city? Edmonton. It is Toronto. I I picked a big city. That's a, there are like five of them. All right, uh, in Trick or Treat, what is the name of the childlike character that appears in all segments? Sam. You are correct. Ding, ding, ding. All right, starting off fine next we have psychological which academy award winning director was a credited writer on 10 cloverfield lane is it alfonso Cuaron? it is damien chazelle ah. who directed whiplash and la la land what is the name of the rare medical disorder raymond andrew jobert has in gerald's game from 2017 hopkins lymphoma no, uh, it's Acromegaly. I don't even know if what I said was the actual name of it. Well, fuck. Next category is going to be Paranormal. In Sinister from 2012, the pagan god Bagul is also referred to by what other name? Sinister? I don't... It's Mr. Boogie. Ah, uh, Mr. Boogie. Boogie Boogie Man. <laughs> uh, what antique is responsible for the sinister happenings in Oculus? From 2014. A mirror. It is a mirror. Sweet. 2-0. Two, two, oh, shutting it out right now. All right. Here we go for the killer category. What actor from The Magnificent Seven from 1960 played the henchman of the principal character played by Vincent Price in The House of Wax from 1953? This is going to be a big old nope for me. No guess? Yeah, I don't have one. All right. It's Charles Bronson, uh. though he was credited as Charles... Bachinski. In Happy Death Day, what poisoned dessert does Lori try to give Teresa Geldman? A cupcake. It is a cupcake. All right. International. What 1964 Japanese film was based off a Shin Buddhist parable? Charles Fuck. <laughs> That's crazy. It's not that. <laughs> it's <laughs> Onibaba. Onibaba. Uh. Who knows? Oh, all right. So it's something. <laughs> not, not literally nothing. All right. In Suspiria from 1977, because obviously these cards were printed before the one that just came out recently. Uh, what type of supernatural being run the Tans Dance Academy in Suspiria? A witch. Uh, actually, it is witches. So you're wrong. No, it's definitely right. Uh, that's four off the card. And I got none. Yeah, but I think that if it would have been flipped, you would have done equally as well. All right, so that's the end of that, and now we're going to talk about our Phase 2 for the Avengers April. And so we're going to start off with Iron Man 3. Yep. Iron Man 3, directed by Shane Black. I remember not liking this when I saw it in theaters, and then after rewatching it, there was more things that I 
liked about it than I thought. It had some redeeming qualities. I really liked Tony's new suit, the way that it kind of works with his body. I mean, and, you mean his million new suits? Yeah. And and with his body and other people's bodies, like we were saying, Tony and Iron Man get the most development. He has the he has the the widest arc. And in this one, we get to see him really just broken. Yeah. You know, and and he gets taken down a peg, which we haven't really seen before. He's kind of always been the top dog, even in the Avengers. He yeah. was still at the top of everything. So for this one, we get to kind of see him, you know, broken again, have to get over himself to overcome and to and to succeed in well, this one. And also battling PTSD, which like is right. a is a big deal. Like I I definitely feel that struggle, you know, and I think that it's portrayed well. I, I'm a little disappointed that they don't really continue that moving forward like because we don't get an and you know an iron man standalone movie after this point we don't get to see any more of those little ticks anymore you know having him like struggling just trying to get by not only having dealt with you know almost dying during that process uh but also dealing with the struggle of just being famous you know and being famous for a reason he's not used to and having people constantly asking him for pictures and asking him to do this and asking him to do that. Uh, I feel like that all is something that would weigh on a person for sure. And just because you're, you know, a billionaire playboy philanthropist or whatever his whole, like, <laughs> his whole spiel is, like, you're still going to suffer from those. Right. You get to see his vulnerability more than you have in, in previous installments. And he really had to look at himself as a person without the suit. Like yeah. who is Tony Stark, not who is Iron Man. And I think that kind of introspects and is makes a good movie, makes it interesting, you know, and it helps with that development. Another thing I really liked too was that you kind of get a hint at what Tony's going to be like when the Spider-Man uh, relationship comes up. So obviously at this time, we didn't even know we were getting a Spider-Man. But looking back, it builds that idea that Tony is going to be this mentor. So he's hanging out with that kid and they're in that barn. And it shows Tony growing in demonstrating his desire to be this mentor. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt like we get to see how that develops and the ripple effects of that when it comes to Spider-Man Homecoming. Obviously a little bit ahead, but it's nice to to see that seed planted pretty early on. Yeah, and it's not and it's not nearly as far ahead as you'd think it is. Like there I want to say in phase 2 there's a reference to Spider-Man before we even knew we were getting him. There are a lot of positives from this movie. It was a lot better than I remembered it being from my first experience. I hadn't watched it since then. It was one that I just kind of tuned out. It was not as, you know, for me it wasn't as bad as Iron Man 2, but it was not great. Um, it's a lot better than I remember it being strictly for the growth that you get from Tony, um, his relationship with Pepper. I didn't like his relationship with Pepper in this one. I thought it was probably the weakest of the three. I felt like, you know, we talked about it a little bit too, where she was this strong, almost like a foil to Tony mm -hmm. and kind of combatant with him. She becomes sort of a damsel in distress in this one. I see. I didn't feel that at all because the end. I, mean, see, I mean, she ends up saving the day at the, at the end. Yeah. I didn't like Killian. I liked the Justin Hammer character from Iron Man 2 before that. And I liked Slattery better in this one than I liked Killian. I thought the Mandarin twist was hysterical. Uh, I, I'm opposite on that one, dude. I hated it. I thought it felt like an SNL sketch. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it could have been handled better. Because Ben Kingsley is such a good actor. Yeah. And they kind of just like throw him away. I mean, like I said, it's, it's all about... Uh, creating a character that's a little more a little more based in some grounding and realism 
I just wanted him to be a teacher <laughs> and not an actor. Ready for another lesson? <laughs> I much prefer that to my board from, from oh, last yeah, phase. But it's not a real thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, a, a, the Mandarin was kind of scary. And obviously there's the little, like, there's the little short that came out after Iron Man 3 came out to kind of retcon some of those things. And I guess there technically should still be a Mandarin that exists. We'll see if we ever get that. Especially considering we honestly really don't know if we're going to get any Robert Downey Jr. after Endgame. So, Fingers crossed. Yeah. I would love to see an <laughs> Iron Man 4. I would love to see what happens. Or even just to get something where he passes the mantle down. Because there are other people who have donned the suit. I just want to know who that is. And I don't want Tony Stark to not be involved with it. I felt like when I mentioned it with Avengers, where we get a little bit slapstick. And I feel like that continues into this, where there are moments where they kind of undercut the emotional scenes with jokes. And that continues throughout the rest of the series, and I really don't like that. I do think that it was better than Iron Man 2, because mm-hmm. it was less of a retread, where Iron Man 2 kind of felt like a redo of Iron Man 1. Yeah. Just less successful. And, and so I like that it wasn't a retread, and I like that we get to see Tony struggle. Because this movie is about Tony yeah. than it, more than it is about Iron Man. It's it's about the fallout, you know, about about how much that kind of an experience can break a man yeah. and trying to cope with that. And I loved that part of the story. For me, I'm saying this, I think for Iron Man 2, I think I gave it, I might have given it two and a half shields for this one. It's probably three, three and a half for me. Um, I liked Iron Man 1 better, but like I said, I feel like this is probably Robert Downey Jr.'s most grounded performance as Tony Stark. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm going to go three. Three shields for me. All right, on to the next one. It's Thor the Dark World. <laughs> so you know how John felt about Thor, and then maybe, hey, it can't get much worse than that. Yeah, it can't get much worse than nothing but Dutch angles. I would take Dutch angles. <laughs> I would take Dutch angles over what I got from Thor the Dark World. Enter stage left, Thor Dark World. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, this has the worst villain in the entire series. Uh, I mean, there's just you don't get any of him. Like I feel, and and they picked Christopher Eggleston. They picked a fucking doctor. You know, they picked someone who was Doctor Who. Come on, you know you've got some capability there. They just didn't give him anything to work with. He didn't even speak English. He spoke a made up language. Like, <laughs> let the guy act. All languages are made up. The eye roll that I just gave him was <laughs> legendary. I've come to the conclusion when it comes to Thor, the more interaction with Earth we have, the worse the movies are. You get a lot of Earth stuff going on on Earth. You have uh, Jane Foster coming back to Asgard. There's too many Earthlings that are involved in this movie. And once again, it takes the concept of what should be a fantasy movie in this realm, and it just steps on it. Well, I think that you can feel Brana's like absence. I thought it, that it was pretty stylistically boring. You see a lot of Thor. Browns and grays. Right. And then Brana had, I, th- I thought he had a grasp of, at least with the way Asgard looked and it was just kind of, eh. <laughs> yeah, we don't get the, we don't get the big, the big scenes with the Bifrost or with the bridge and like the big shots of Asgard from out front. Like you get like shots from in the rooms and they're just not as interesting, but you get these boring sequences on earth that like are meant to just be visual gags. And like some of them are cool. Like when the kid goes up and he starts flipping the truck with two fingers and everything, the fact that that was done on a soundstage practically is dope. I love that. It looks super cool. And some of the effects that they did were awesome. It wasn't very good. Chris Hemsworth is okay as Thor in this one. I feel like he was better in Thor and definitely better in the Avengers up to this point. 
he wasn't as good in this one, and I felt like it was because he had more screen time with Natalie Portman, who was just abysmal in this. I also felt like there were too many coincidences. Mm-hmm. Like Thor and Jane conveniently find a portal back to Earth within yeah. minutes of thinking they're stranded, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's you know this big dramatic ship falling, and oh no, what's going to happen? And then conveniently falls into a portal. Yeah, a lot of the portal stuff, I guess, I didn't like because even you know at the those jets fly into one. Oh, what happened to them? Oh, they came right back out yeah. after the effort all ended, landed safely. So I had a lot of problem with those. They felt like cop outs, mm-hmm. you know. And and then they added that intern character. Yeah. And I was like, well, you're basically useless. Cat yeah. Dennings could have done that by herself. Like, sure. what was the point of it? <laughs> it doesn't gain anything. Just to give Cat Dennings a, a love interest? I guess, yeah. Um, who, who isn't that exciting of a character to begin with to the point where I gave a shit if she had a love interest or not? Yeah. Once again, though, Tom Hiddleston brings the performances every time he's on stage. I mean, he is excellent as Loki. It's the character he was made to play. And this is probably one of the better Loki performances going back and looking back at all of them. This one was really excellent. I'm not sure there's a bad one, honestly. There really isn't, but like this might be the best one. And it's sad that it's wasted on this movie. This movie, aside from him, is just bad. Like This is the one movie out of the entire list I would say I genuinely actually don't like. Like I, I, can, I can find redeeming qualities in Thor. I can find redeeming qualities in one that we're going to talk about here shortly in uh, Age of Ultron. This one, I just, there's, I mean, he's it. That's it. I will agree to an extent. There are there were some things that I liked about it. A little bit of setup, so we get to see Odin reference the Infinity Stones. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. thought that was pretty cool, you know. You know, I would say like other relics appear as stones, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I they do, they plant some seeds along the way, and I really like that. It's not so much beating you over the head. It's a little bit more subtle than yeah. I feel like they give us later on. But what I thought this movie succeeds with, and I guess it's kind of similar to how I felt about Iron Man 3, is that it packs a lot of emotion. There's parts that don't get undercut with jokes, which is for me is great. Like when Frigga dies, it's handled very delicately, yeah. you know? And you get to really feel that. And and the repercussions of that are there the rest of, throughout the rest of the movie. You get to see emotion from Thor. You get to see emotion from Loki. You get to see emotion from Odin. And they all feel pretty genuine. You know, there's that scene where Thor and Loki are arguing about Frigga on that hover boat or mm-hmm. whatever it is when they're trying to leave Asgard. And it's dealing with loss. You know, one minute they're overly emotional and, and grief-stricken. And then the next they're kind of laughing, you know. And I feel like, I mean, someone who's dealt with loss... You, you, it happens. You yeah. know, you'll be crying one next, and then joking. You know, if it's a family member, you'll be joking about something the next moment. And, and so, those scenes, I felt like where this movie shined. And so, if there are any redeeming qualities about it, it's it's those. It's that emotional punch that they gave to you, and they really let you feel. That being said, if I never had to watch this movie again, I think I'd be okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a similar boat for sure. I don't have much more to say about it. I don't. I mean, I don't want to just sit here and tear this movie apart when there are so many great movies in this phase. Yeah, for me, this is a one and a half shields at best. Yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll just go with one. On to the next one, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. So this is our first from Marvel, directed by the Russo brothers. Yes, and they build a continuity that I really, really enjoy uh, because they've worked with the actors and because they have that rapport. They 
build this world that is super engaging and they do some of the best like espionage style stories especially in this instance with the first captain america you get almost like a war story and in this instance this is like a spy thriller such a spy thriller and like if you take if you take away the captain america parts this would still be a very entertaining spy thriller it's so well acted it's so well paced the the twists come in in all the right places and a decent villain pierce is interesting and sadistic yes. and he's this more behind the scenes villain. Redford played it with charm, you know, almost enough to, I kind of like him. It's almost like an Iron Man villain. Like if you look at like a Justin Hammer or a Mandarin, you're looking at a villain that's kind of behind the scenes. It isn't out there doing the big fights, that sort of thing. That's what you're getting from Redford's performance. Right. It's like someone who's just pulling the strings. And sometimes with those splits where we get the behind the scenes and then we get the person running the show or not running the show, but out in the field or whatever, the disconnect doesn't really work. But we get Pierce, who's great, right? And then you get Winter Soldier, who is arguably the other villain in this movie, right? Yes. And he is interesting too. He's mysterious and he's kind of, I mean, kind of a badass. That yeah. scene when he catches the shield. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't remember that shit, right? And then you just hear the arm <laughs> reverberating and everything. So incredible. And, well, I mean, and you also get the setup for Crossbones as well, which is a great, another great Captain America villain. We get more development from Steve. Started uh, in the Avengers, where he's realizing things aren't as black and white as they were, mm-hmm. and he starts to, you know, question himself, like why he's fighting. And we get to see him dealing with the past, going to those vet meetings and visiting Peggy. You know, Hydra returns, and he kind of questions everything that he's done. Well, because he's been working for Shield. Right. And to find out that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been largely infiltrated by HYDRA, A, the scene in the bunker from where he was trained and everything, that scene is dope. Where, like, the AI comes alive and it's, that scene is just, it's such a great reveal. And, like, you start to kind of, like, piece things together. And I I, I love that concept. And it works so well. Um, I like the banter back and forth and the pairing of cap and black widow i felt like they played off of each other really well and like without being romantic too yes like and like the closest thing to romance is like she's like she's like oh kiss me so because that makes people uncomfortable like it's so like tactically sound and i love that and captain and anthony mackie what's his uh falcon falcon right yeah their relationship too Mm -hmm. we get to see start building and it's great on your left (laughs) (laughs) so good yeah and i feel like this movie, especially going through and watching them all in any kind of order, once you get to this, it's sort of just a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Because it is very different. It almost doesn't feel like a Marvel movie. Like mm. you were saying, you remove the Captain America element, and this is still a good movie. No doubt, one of the tensest scenes in the MCU period is the scene where uh, Fury's being chased in his car, and like he's having to like use all the little gadgets and stuff. It's a scene you forget about. It's so well shot and it's so well acted. Everything about this movie just shines for me. It's one of the first like real heavy hitters. I will say there are a few weak points. We get this big plot to cleanse the world, which ends in this massive city destroying battle and nothing's really at stake, you know, and they, they stop it. But like at what cost, which we later get them discussing more in Ultron mm-hmm. where there is a huge mishap. Um, but this is, you know, another one where you kind of start to feel that drag where it's like, Hey, they just keep destroying cities for the the greater good or whatever, you know? Well, I think that discussion actually comes up more in civil war, but 
Um, I think Ultron is just kind of the last like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because they float the city. And yeah. It's like, well, like, what are you guys doing? Right. And then, like, you know, I've said it before. There's nothing at stake, and so you know, you think Nick Fury's gonna die, and then he comes back right on cue after Black Widow does her, you know, fucking Mission Impossible yeah. face reveal. Also, that scene where they're, you know, they turn on the computer, the Hydra computer. Mm-hmm. They go deep underground, then it gets destroyed, and they're somehow now at ground level without a scratch. For me, like I said, it's not one hundred percent like like flawless, but a lot of the issues that we could come up with are are very nitpicky. Right. It's like, like I said, overall, it's still one of the most entertaining movies in the franchise. And I feel like it's probably one of the movies that has the most arc for Steve Rogers just because he doesn't have a lot of arc. He he is the Boy Scout. He is the Superman of this of this franchise. And so by having him, he's not going to go through these huge shifts and changes it's going to be mostly about his trust and about who he's willing to bring into the circle because he's still a deist he's very black and white and by having that you inherently aren't going to see this massive arc like you do with tony stark if i had to give it shields i'd say at least at least four and a half if not five because this this movie's just good yeah i mean for me uh this is going to be my first five shielder there's at least one more in phase two. Uh, but this is my first five shielder for sure. Cool. So then next up is Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm going to go ahead and let you lead off on this one because I could talk about this movie for longer than the runtime. Let's get the weak shit out of the way, I guess. So for me, the weakest thing about this movie is is the plot. It's very basic. Nothing really that we hadn't seen. It's more or less the origin formula that we're getting. And so it doesn't really do much as far as the plot goes. But that being said, the journey through it all, getting to know these characters and getting to the part where they're fighting Ronan and all that stuff is very entertaining and it's enjoyable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, nothing we haven't seen, but it's a good time down that road. So the... It does use the origin formula, but I feel like this is the best use of that origin formula to date. Up to that point, uh, none of the other origin films came even close to how well-polished and well-put-together this movie was. And this is the first movie in the franchise that really goes out and says, Hey, we're going to get fucking weird with this. Be ready. And they deliver every time. Um, The characters have a great back-and-forth and banter. Even... Some of the issues with it almost seeming like having Bradley Cooper not be like a part of like the actual shooting schedule and doing voiceover, like even in some situations where that felt like it was a little weird, they still have a great back and forth. And those characters just have so much rapport and the dialogue between them is just excellent. Right. And and what this movie does where it succeeds, and I think it carries over into volume two is that there's so much development, right? So you're getting development from all of the the main guardians, mm-hmm. including Groot, right? He only says, I am Groot. Right, and even he gets development. And so for me, that gave the film a lot of depth and emotion to it. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's another reason why it's like, yeah, sure, the plot's a little bit generic, but it really doesn't hurt this movie in any way yeah. because it's not really about the plot the plot it's more about the character so it's a it's more of a character driven movie and i think both of them are mm-hmm. right and this one too again like winter soldier was was just this breath of fresh air where it's like oh what the fuck 
is this? Because that's not like anything we get. It's more. It's no. There's basically no Earth. You know, yeah. it's all space. And and we get hints of that with Thor and stuff, but never a full fledged like space movie. Yeah. And that's what this is. And it's it's visually stunning. The makeup looks great, and they end up kind of relying on that. And we've talked about it with the and Captain Marvel too, where they kind of rely on just painting people colors yeah. to, to, to make them look good, but it works and it looks great. There's times in this one where you kind of forget it's makeup mm-hmm. and they resemble aliens. Yes. I mean, you can watch Gamora all day and try to look for seams or, or cracks. And it's like, no, she's, she just is green. Or even, even more than that, Batista as Drax flawless, a decent actor too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. He's fantastic. I was having an interesting discussion with somebody about it and he's apparently very Drax the character is very popular in the um community like the autism community like people who are on the spectrum a lot of people really like relate to that character I can see that so all the characters have a great rapport they all have really great arcs I feel like Peter Quill as a character as a lead I feel like he's one of the most charismatic people in the MCU like he rivals Hemsworth he rivals uh evans you know he he's able to keep up with those performances and bring his own flair and his own comedy chops to it this movie is in some ways heartbreaking and in some ways hysterical and they have they have such a great balance going back and forth across that line i mean the fact that they completely subbed out from a huge over-the-top battle at the end of the movie and had a dance-off is fucking hysterical. <laughs> and I love that concept of just, you know, five people who have done it the wrong way their whole life. So why change? I think why that works so well in this movie is that because at this point, Marvel is shifting from these gritty grounded movies to these more, I guess this one is more or less a bit more family friendly. It benefits because it's not an action movie with misplaced comedy i guess that's you know my opinion with comedy thrown in this is a comedy with action and so it's two very different things although they sound similar you know Mm -hmm. it's like a horror movie that's funny versus like Shaun of the dead which is a comedy with horror elements you know what i mean so this movie is a comedy first and they put action in there and it makes it great you know it's different and it doesn't feel as disjointed we haven't even talked about the one thing that stitches this movie together i was just gonna say that the music the sound <laughs> I was thinking something else. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? <laughs> I was thinking James Gunn. I I mean yeah, I mean uh James Gunn is a is a great director, but like I said And writer. And yeah, I mean well I mean it's the Gunn <laughs> brothers, isn't it, that, right. that wrote it. But I don't think this franchise would have been as successful, at least these two and now three. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it's gonna be successful, but I don't think they would have done as well without him. Without yeah. him, yeah. That's definitely true. But like I said, as far as But the music, yeah. The music is incredible it it brought a bunch of artists who who fell by the wayside throughout the 70s you know 70s and 80s who you know back to the limelight that album is is everywhere you can buy it on vinyl at fucking barnes and nobles of all places (laughs) like it's it's an incredible soundtrack and the way that all the music is placed in the right spots it's just incredible like I still, I'll still pop it on and I'll listen to it all the way through. It makes me want to watch the movie. Well, yeah, the movie or the music, I guess, almost becomes another character in mm-hmm. this in this movie, where it's integral to what's happening on screen. It's not just part of the background to to fill noise. You know, it is a part of this movie. Yeah, 
and then they carry that over because they call the next one volume two, mm-hmm. which is a very music thing to do. And it's the, the it makes the songs like synonymous with scenes from the movie. I can't listen to that. Uh, it's a song by Sam Cooke. I can't listen to it without thinking about. Oh, I Uga Chaka. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I can't think about that song without thinking about about uh, about Gamora and Star-Lord dancing and then her uh, basically uh, saying that he's like a sexual magician. I will not fall victim to your pelvic sorcery. <laughs> all right. So, I mean, like you said, we could talk about this movie all day, but we won't. We're going to go ahead and move on to the next one. Which is Guardians Volume 2, so get ready. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Guardians 1, Five Shields. Oh, that's Don't right. at me. <laughs> Guardians 1, I'll go, I'll go four and a half on this one. Volume 2, again, directed by James Gunn. Let's get the weak stuff out of the way. They did in this movie what Walking Dead does all the time. Whereas right before they kill a character, they give them a ton of screen time mm-hmm. and then kill them. They do that to make the death feel more impactful. Whereas with Walking Dead, it doesn't always work. The death of Yondu in this movie is some of the most heartbreaking shit it's in one the of entire these, MCU. Just, wa- just watching Chris Pratt just screaming in the nothingness. It's... Like, I'm getting, like, teary-eyed a little bit thinking about that scene. Right. I, I said I think it's one of, but it might be the most <laughs> yeah. impactful death. Well, and and not only just that particular scene where he does die, the, you know, uh, he may have, been your, may have been your father, but it, but he ain't your daddy. That scene is heartbreaking, but, like, even get watching him get his redemption and death and just having all of the Ravagers come back to celebrate his death. Right. You know, giving him the Ra- Ravager funeral that he wanted. Even that scene. And, like, just watching the other characters connect about it. I mean, we, we're jumping to the end points before we're even talking about the meat and potatoes of this movie. Well, I think that that's, that's okay to do with this because that's, for me, the weakest thing in the movie was just that they gave us a bunch of screen time just to make his death more impactful. And in this case, it worked. And if that's the biggest problem with your movie, then you got something pretty solid on your hands, yeah. you know, especially for being a sequel. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I feel like when we can talk about what's good about this and it's just for me, the direction they took it in, it could have been an, another like this week on guardians. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't, it wasn't just a space adventure. It went again, light on plot. But this movie is so much character-driven, it's ridiculous. Yeah, every character gets a huge arc. Every single one. To the point where you're like, shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> but it it works, and it's not something that we get, especially in the bigger ensemble movies. Yeah. We don't even get it with all of the standalone movies. Yeah, I think the only movie from the Marvel Universe that I cried more in was Infinity War. There's obvious reasons for that. Little sequences that would almost seem like they could be throwaways in other movie just have so much impact in this one. The scene where Mantis is sitting with Drax and they're looking out over over the pools on Ego's planet. And he's just sitting there talking about how much um, his daughter would have loved it. And like Mantis goes to like read his feelings and she's so overcome with emotion and just starts weeping uncontrollably. But Drax is just sitting there stone-faced. Like that scene... It haunts me. And it's so well acted and so well performed. Mantis is a fantastic addition. I feel like uh, Palm's performance throughout the whole process for that, she has a decent arc. Like I said, being able to quickly go between those emotions and be able to show them in a way that doesn't feel hammy is excellent. 
I think too, like we've mentioned a lot with the MCU in general, is that these movies have a main genre, right? Mm. And then they have these subgenres, and kind of similar how we were talking about with Captain America: Winter Soldier. That if you strip away this being a superhero movie, and if you strip away this being an action sci-fi movie, what's left is you get this movie about family mm-hmm. and and what that means to be a family. Yeah, because we meet. Star Lord's dad, and that's not his family. That's yeah. that's his blood or whatever, but that's not who his family is. And so it's kind of it kind of makes you think of, of that idea of what is family, and then dealing with loss and dealing with the relationships that really bind us, and mm-hmm. how your friends or the people that you can choose are your family too. And that's something that really resonated with me. And so I thought that that's one of the biggest ways that this movie shined. And I thought that was the subgenre. It was like it's it's a that's what it's about. That yeah. movie. This movie is about family. Whether you know, take away all the goofy shit. <laughs> yeah. Take away them creating Sylvester Stallone, you or, know? <laughs> ta- or take away uh, them creating a ball of light and then literally playing catch with it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Take away Pac Man. <laughs> <laughs> or take away the uh, the arcade that the uh, Sovereign are in, so they can fly their little unmanned ships. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Sovereign are pretty weak. Right, but like. Th- they're throwaway, but they, yeah, they but never the, expect them to be anything. Yeah, they're meant to push that. the plot forward to the real villain, which is which is ego, and which is a fucking killer performance, by the way. I mean, you could expect no less with who's performing it. You know, we're big Kurt fans. Yeah, big <laughs> Kurt fans. Another, I guess, the, probably the biggest way this movie shines is, I know that there were complaints, bef- and I've heard them about how the the MCU itself feels like a giant TV show mm-hmm. because they need each other to build on the other movies. Some of the movies wouldn't stand alone without being a part of this big series, but I feel like with volume 2, it's that's the exception, right? It's it works as part of the series, it works as part of the MCU, but if you watch just this movie, mm-hmm. you'll understand it and it is a complete and cohesive film in itself. Yeah. And you can't say that about all of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, And Baby Groot is adorable. <laughs> yeah. Man, like I said, the the two Guardians movies, they're, they're definitely some of my favorites. The soundtrack in this one, just like the first one, it, it's the scenes are synonymous with the songs. Just that opening. Yeah, just them driving up on the highway and she's singing Brandy. I mean, it's just incredible. And to come full circle at the end of that with the reveal that that Ego killed her. That shit fucking hurts. Like, you can see the reaction in Star-Lord, and you definitely feel for him in that moment. I guess I'm going to go four and a half again. So, I personally, I like Guardians 1 better than Guardians 2, but I'm also going to give this one five shields strictly for the after credit sequence where they announced that Adam Warlock is going to be in the, in the universe, which I, as a comic book fan, am all about, because he is OP as shit, and I'm ready for that. <laughs> So we have arrived. The next one is Avengers Age of Ultron. See if they could strike lightning twice. They didn't. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is probably one of Joss Whedon's weakest movies in general. I don't mind James Spader as Ultron. I know a lot of people had a problem with his voice acting performances, but it's, it's it's a movie where it's more about the quips than it is anything else. They do some pretty gnarly things that at the up to this point almost seem like they have no repercussions for. You know, they rectify that in Phase 3, and we'll talk about that more at length in one of the better movies in, in this franchise, but we'll get to that later. 
this movie just has a lot of problems. Um, I do like that they announced they they introduced Claw as a villain. I mean, he's only yeah. he's only there for a little bit, but I mean, it gives you the reason why he gets the Claw that you see in Black Panther, which is dope. And to see Andy outside of uh, some kind of motion capture suit. Yeah, I know, right? Fucking weird. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, wait, you're, you're a real person? Yeah, you're just a regular dude. <laughs> what the hell, man? Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Elizabeth Olsen is is great as Wanda Maximoff. I don't know how I feel about Aaron Johnson as but as you don't get Quicksilver. a chance. But to... yeah, you don't really get a chance to get like you start to build like this little tiny relationship with Hawkeye, and then it's completely squandered by him dying. We don't physically see him die, so I mean he might still be there somewhere. But I mean he just hasn't been part of anything since then so we'll see how that pans out but like the fact that they just give a lot of screen time to a character only to kill him is the second time in a row they've done that shit and it doesn't work in this one this goes the route of some of the shadier deaths on walking dead it just feels like you made a character so you could kill one and not kill a main roster character well no and i think that that's exactly what happened because and that's one of my biggest complaints and i've said it Plenty of times, even just today, there's nothing at stake in this movie. No one gets hurt or dies that we care about. None of the big people except Quicksilver. And you don't get enough time. He's a villain for most of the movie. Yeah. And then as soon as he becomes part of the Avengers or whatever, he instantly dies. Yeah. And it's just, it's a plot device for Scarlet Witch's character arc more than anything. Well, and then just to see on the other end over, you know, over in Fox's camp to watch them kill it with Quicksilver in the X-Men movies, it's just like a slap in the face. Right, and super weird that we have two, and now they're going to be a part of the same universe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they're going to make that shit work. Uh, obviously, one franchise is way more successful than the other. But, I mean, I guess it also will probably depend on how well Dark Phoenix does. We'll see later this year when when that gets released. That's neither here nor there. Yeah. So my thoughts on Ultron, though, um, the character, not the film itself i felt like he was not fleshed out enough Mm -hmm. so james spader can do intimidating and he can be comedic you know we've seen him be funny in the office and we've seen his more serious stuff like with blacklist or whatever and it felt like they didn't know which one they wanted Mm -hmm. did they want office spader or did they want blacklist spader and so at times he's intimidating and ultron is genuinely pretty scary just him singing I got no string. Oh my god, so creepy. That's like like that scene when he comes like shambling out and is just like falling apart. Like that scene right. is genuinely terrifying. Like horror movie level like terrifying. Yeah, and then other times he's he's doing just like deadpan comedy. Yeah. It's like mm. it felt very disjointed and they should have picked one spader. <laughs> yeah. Pick it and stick it, my friend. <laughs> I did like the idea that we're presented in the beginning where the Avengers are already on a mission that we didn't know about. It leads you to believe that they're doing shit that we're not seeing, yeah. which is pretty cool to think of them going on adventures that we don't have to know all of them. Because mm-hmm. if that was the case, then they've only had uh, you know three adventures so far. <laughs> and they, I'm sure they're doing more than that. And and that's pretty cool. So they're out on an outing and we're just thrown in and they celebrate together. And it becomes, you know, the kind of that idea of like family and, yeah. and what that means and these bonds and, and developing those relationships of them together. And so I really like that. So this movie's not all bad. 
It's like I said, it's definitely not the worst movie. It's the worst Avengers movie, but it's not the worst in the MCU, not by a long shot. There's definitely redeeming qualities. I don't feel like the relationship between Romanoff and Banner is is forced, uh, considering she's the one who's being like pushed to in the first Avengers. She's the she's the one who's pushed to go find him and bring him into the fold. And then in this one, she's the one who's being pushed to help with his transformations and, you know, kind of give that some regularity. And I can definitely see value in them, you know, developing feelings for each other. And, and like, they they look cute together on screen. Like, that's like, there's a, there's a benefit to that, you know? <laughs> Let me say that I felt like if the MCU is a massive TV show, mm-hmm. this feels like a filler episode. Almost, yeah. Right? Where... It's just kind of there to let us know what the characters have been up to, but the overall plot doesn't really push their story much further. Sure, we get Vision and we get Scarlet Witch, but outside of that, it's it's very self-contained. Tony creates Ultron and then the Avengers destroy Ultron. Yeah. There's no branches from that really, you know, besides we get new characters, which is cool, but they could have done that a number of ways. It didn't have to be this whole movie. And I know that 100% this is not the reason why they made this movie, but it almost feels like they made it to set up Civil War. Because Civil War could not exist without this movie. Yeah. Wholesale. Like, there's no way Civil War could be based around the things that it's based around and have the characters it has without this movie setting those exact things up. Sokovia, Vision, Scarlet Witch, they're both huge parts of Civil War's plot. Without having them, it doesn't work. But they didn't know that. The Russos were making Civil War. So they set out to make something, but they just, there was no way that they were going to top the hype machine that was the Avengers. This was definitely a sophomore slump movie for Whedon. I'm glad that they let somebody else take the reins for the Avengers movies. I could definitely see him coming in and stepping in to do like a, like a solo project film in the series. And I'd love that. Have him direct Squirrel Girl if that ever comes out. Like <laughs> That'd be dope. I would be first in line to go see Joss Whedon direct Squirrel Girl with Anna Kendrick as Squirrel Girl. Yeah. Fucking sign me up. You've heard it here first. If that happens, you can call me Nostradamus. <laughs> yeah, this one's going to be a two and a half shields for me. I'm going to go two. Like I've said with Thor, I don't. if I never watch this movie again, I'd be fine. It's my least favorite, probably. The last movie on the list for this phase before we move on to the final phase is ant-man originally supposed to be by edgar wright where they still gave him writing credits they didn't change his script i feel like this movie gets a bad rep it's an origin movie yeah it's uh it's formulaic for sure definitely but it's another movie where it has a secondary theme like a lot of the mcu does uh, and I feel like movies that don't have them tend to not do as well in my book. Um, but this one is a heist movie. And I fucking love that. I'm a big fan of like the Oceans movies and that sort of thing. I enjoyed this movie. It's not perfect. I love Paul Rudd being a character in the in the franchise. Uh, and he works really well with the other characters. And we'll talk more about that uh, next week. But I felt like this was a, you know, this was a decent origin vehicle for him. It definitely follows all the formulas. You know, he's fighting against someone who's literally the exact same thing. He is only evil. Um, (laughs) Right. But I feel like introducing Hope Van Dyne and Hank Pym, I love those characters. I love what they do. And I love the little, when things kind of start to piece together. I mean, and we'll talk about more of that with Ant-Man and the Wasp, but I love the little family dynamic that gets built. I think that the 
all the characters, except maybe one of the heist crew, are all pretty solid. You know what I mean? They're all they're all necessary. Oh, you're not a fan of T.I.? No, I feel like he was okay. I feel like it was the... The Russian guy? Right. Yeah. I feel like if you cut him out, the movie's exactly the same. He he is one of the better ones, though, in Ant-Man and the Wasp. The Where he's talking about the goat... Where he's talking about Ghost. That, that shit's funny. <laughs> but yeah, like, I... I loved uh, Michael Pena. I thought he was hysterical. Great. Yeah. I mean, when he goes on his story rant, <laughs> fucking so hilarious, good. dude. So good. And I think that's part of why this movie works so well is that, you know, there's not anyone trying to destroy the world or destroy humanity or destroy the galaxy like in the other movies. It's very light. And so the comedy works very, works well because it, it, it all kind of fits together. Yeah. Where it's not this grand destruction. And then like, here, here's your one liner. It all is kind of on the same plane. I like the the banter amongst the characters. I feel like Scott Lang uh, reacts appropriately to the things that are in, in his surroundings. You know, breaking into this vault and then uh, finding a weird suit. And then when he finds out the powers that it has, is he's like, he's the first person who's reluctant. That's like a completely new concept for this entire series. Like he like he doesn't look like look at like having a power. And being like, oh yeah, for sure, I'll take advantage of that. He's like, no, I don't want anything to fucking do with this. I just want to be a normal ass dude and provide for my daughter. It becomes the story of redemption for him anyway. So he gets he gets a good amount of development, you know. Mm-hmm. And we get to see how that carries through then the next movie, and hopefully we get to see a little bit of how that carries through with with Endgame. I gotta tell you, man. I love that toy train scene. Mm-hmm. I think it's hilarious. Yes. And it's so epic and giant. And so it's, I feel like it's kind of Marvel poking fun at themselves, mm-hmm. you know? And you get to see this intense scene and then you cut to the outside. And she's like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just derails real quick. Uh, it's hilarious. And then they flip it on its ear again and then they turn it into this giant Thomas the Tank Engine. Only thing it's missing is the is cue the music. And fucking it just comes flying out of the house. <laughs> I, yeah. I said, I, this movie was way more enjoyable than a lot of people gave it credit for. I do feel like it's a middle of the pack movie. It's definitely not like one of the best ones, but it's not at the bottom either. Yeah, it's nowhere near the bottom. It was entertaining. I enjoyed it. I love Paul Rudd. I'm definitely glad that they didn't do a whole bunch of tweaking to Edgar Wright's script because Edgar Wright is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. I think that there's some hurt feelings with that with that breakup between him and Disney but I would love to see him have a full movie yeah in in this series and just get them does not interfere with his ideas oh, yeah let him try his thing he's but a visionary I, I mean let him do what he does I guess that pretty much covers it I mean Ant-Man mm-hmm. like you said is pretty middling so if I had to give it shield I'd say three on this one yeah I'm saying 3.5 that's gonna wrap it up for our phase two of Avengers April Next week, we are going to be talking about the final seven movies. We'll go ahead and give you the full list so that if you are following along, which you should be, but it is also very time-consuming, so understandable if you are not, they are going to be Captain America Civil War, then Black Panther, Spider-Man Homecoming, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Doctor Strange, Thor Ragnarok, and then finally Infinity War that's going to wrap it up for this week you can hit us up on any of our socials that's going to be at porcelain peak on facebook twitter and instagram you can also shoot us an email at porcelainpeak at gmail.com 
and check out the website, porcelainpeak.com, so that you can get more content on there and full breakdown of all of these movies leading up to Infinity War. <clears throat> and if you are, again, interested in John's Shazam review, then go ahead and check out that Entertainment Vortex. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Keep it creepy.